the wackiest ones I was telling somebody today, craziest thing I ever did in baseball was 19, I think it was 99, I traded Sean Mulligan to Dan O'Dowd and the Cleveland Indians for a Woodway treadmill, used Woodway treadmill, <laughs> and $50,000 to put into our weight room. Didn't have the money in our budget. Boach always gets on me, says that, he called it the Mully Mill, he says, that treadmill was hexed. Every time Boach would get on it, he'd be running about six, it would stop, he'd almost go through the wall. But uh, literally traded a player for a used Woodway treadmill at $50,000 for weight. Good morning and welcome to episode 154 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh. In Long Beach, California is Sam Miller. Joining Hi, Ben. Us, hello. Joining us today to talk Diamondbacks is Doug Thorburn. Hello, Doug. Hey, guys. Hi, Doug. You have gotten married since the last time we talked to you. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Uh, after we talked to Doug... Uh, Pete Barrett will be talking to Nick Picoro, the Diamondbacks beat writer for AZ Central Sports. So the Diamondbacks have had an offseason that has uh, generated a lot of discussion. On our least favorite offseason moves lineup card a week or so ago, I think four of the 12 moves were Diamondbacks moves. I guess maybe two of the, or one of them was on there twice. We liked it so little. Uh, do you do you do you share that sentiment that the that the Diamondbacks did strange things this winter that you don't agree with, or are you more bullish on those moves? Uh, no, I pretty much agree with uh, all of the negative sentiment going on in the the least favorite moves column there. Um, I mean, I I just felt like I was scratching my head all winter. I. I have a lot of respect for Kevin Towers. I feel like he's done a good job in the past. I, a lot of times he surprises us with, we don't necessarily, when the trade happens, it's kind of looked down upon, and then his end of it tends to work out pretty well. So I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, I mean, it started with the whole Chris Young for Pennington. That was kind of a weird one, but I guess you could excuse it. But, oh man, the further we got in the winter, the less I understood it. And, I, I don't know. There's, it's definitely some head scratching decisions that, it actually made writing the chapter really difficult because they they kept switching stuff up and, at least I was doing the A's chapter. So when they made that trade with them, I was already writing those guys' capsules. So that was pretty easy. But as the winter went on, I found myself having to change my outlook because going into the winter, I was really positive on the Diamondbacks. I mean, I felt they were underrated last year. They they outplayed the record. I think they their Pythagorean was like. 86 wins or something like that instead of 81. Um, their run differential was actually better than the Dodgers. And, you know, I saw a Justin Upton who had to be better than last year and a lot of young pitching. I don't know. I just saw a team on the upswing. And now Sands, Upton, and no Bauer anymore. All of a sudden, some of the that upside is gone and a lot of the intrigue is gone. And at the end of the day, I feel like they got, I mean, I don't know. Let's say best case scenario some combination of Pennington and Gregorius ends up being, I mean, again, best case scenario might be what, Brandon Ryan there? I mean, the ultimate glove, but you know you're not going to get much with the bat. And it seems to me that, you know, Bauer plus Chris Young is not worth Brendan Ryan. And I'm not sure why they tried so hard to, to corner that that position when it seems like it would have been easier to make a, get a replacement. 
It's strange because, I mean, there are certain GMs who, when they do something the internet doesn't agree with, there's sort of a, a script that we've all agreed on. If Dayton Moore does something that seems strange, we, we talk about the process. Or if Ruben Amaro does something, we, we joke about the Ryan Howard contract. There's, there's sort of an accepted <laughs> response to those things. Whereas Kevin Towers entered the winter as, as a, a very respected GM, I think, in the industry as well as outside the industry. He's been a GM forever. It's sort of hard to point to those kind of, of things that confuse us. And then all of a sudden he reeled off a whole string of them. And I guess what we've sort of seized on now is this this grit, uh, this grit Kirk Gibson meme, which, I mean, he has certainly helped us with by talking about it a lot. To what extent do you buy into that as as kind of a motivation for these moves? Uh, buying into it, that's a good question. I, I think only those who are in, you know in, internally involved and really see what's going on day to day could really answer that. But it is sort of an interesting one. I mean, I I'm not sure how to define grit or you know what is it uh, value over replacement grit? What's uh, Diana's side on that? I mean, I, I don't know how to define that or to measure that. And at the end of the day, it, it seems to me if he's he's forming this team for Kirk Gibson's sake, I understand wanting to work within the confines of your manager, but it's Tower's job to look beyond that. And it seems to me he just undersold on a lot of his valuable assets. I mean, even if we pretend that Trevor Bauer was very tough to work with and they wouldn't be able to get the most out of him, it seems like they could have gotten something more in return. There has to be other teams who are looking at this player and thinking we can mold that guy. And then when it comes down to the Upton trade, that just didn't make any sense at all. I mean, the the trade that got turned down with the Mariners, that made sense. I was kind of on board for that one. I mean, I still didn't like it because I see the Diamondbacks as a contender, and to me, they need Upton to be a contender. But that trade offer with the Mariners, with Tywin Walker, and I mean, I like that headliner, but what they ended up getting back from the Braves just wasn't very impressive. I mean, one year of Martin Prado and I mean, they, they got, you know, a couple of, uh, B level prospects in there and then Randall Delgado and Delgado has some upside. I like him fine, but for Justin Upton, I mean, it seems to me, we talk a lot about replacement level and replacement players, but we don't talk very much about the, the irreplaceable level. Those guys who are on the top end. I mean, how do you replace Justin Upton? Now that they have, and I like the Diamondbacks roster this year. They're really deep in a lot of different areas. They're pitching, they're bullpen, they're, I mean, all over the diamond. They're, they've got quality players everywhere, but they're lacking the guys who are the high-end ceiling. And that's what it takes to, re- I mean, not that you have to have it for a championship team, but that literally is irreplaceable. You can't replace, if, if Justin Upton has the upside of being a 5-plus warp guy, there's no way for the Diamondbacks to reacquire that now outside of free agency. And there's fewer and fewer options in free agency. The Diamondbacks typically stay away from free agency. They go for the middle tier guys. They never go high end. And I mean, Justin Upton was a number one overall pick. Bauer was what? A number four. Well, the Diamondbacks are set up to be a pretty decent team. They're not going to have another high draft pick like that for a while. And guys aren't falling due to financial constraints the way they used to be. So I just don't see where they're going to get that high end talent. And I, I don't know. To me, there's there's an extra added value there for the guys at the top end because they enable you to do so much more and move beyond that, just that competitive level. Those are the ones that push you over the top. So I, 
I don't know. I I couldn't believe he sold for fifty cents on the dollar on Upton, especially how well he negotiated the Adrian Gonzalez stuff back with the Padres. I feel like that guy was a perpetual trade rumor, and they ended up eventually dealing him, but only once he'd kind of usurped his value for the team, and they were far enough away from contention, and he had few fewer years on his contract, so it made sense. But Upton still has three years left. I mean, at a decent rate too. Uh, so, like, the one exception to, to this theme is the Brandon McCarthy deal, which was very popular on Twitter. And um, somebody suggested to me that it was very popular on Twitter because Brandon McCarthy is very popular on Twitter. And that, in a, in a weird way, that actually has affected the way that people evaluate him. Um, he's actually, you know, he's, he's had two pretty good years as a pitcher. And um, he's also, you know, been very injury prone in his career. A short, a fairly short history of success. Uh, I like him, but I would qualify as part of that, you know, theoretically biased crowd. Um, do you think that that deal deserved the praise that it got, uh, especially kind of compared to some of the other pitchers uh, who signed for you know roughly similar dollars this offseason? Um, I didn't think it was an amazing deal. I thought it was somewhat appropriate, although you know having it backloaded a little bit to 2014 was kind of interesting. Um, I like McCarthy. I think he's a good choice. He obviously hasn't shown the ability to throw a lot of innings. And what's scary is he had the same injury so many times. I think he was on the disabled list like six different times for stress fractures in his scapula. And so that points to me a foundational weakness. Um, that said, he has really improved his mechanics. I like his delivery a lot more than uh, like in, uh, a couple years ago. But uh, he is certainly a, a pretty big risk there. So I thought it was a fine deal. I didn't think it was it necessarily deserved the universal praise that it received, but yeah, like you said, certain people have perceptions that really I think help their media persona a little bit. In the uh, in the annual, you wrote about uh, Patrick Corbin, and you talked about how he has a uh, you know a fairly simple delivery, uh, and that that helps him to kind of repeat and throw strikes. and And you mentioned that that's rare because uh, lefties are kind of coached into having steep angles and you mentioned Tyler Skaggs uh, uh, as a pitcher who has a fairly steep angle can you just sort of talk about what the um, advantages are of, of each uh, and whether one is uh, whether you kind of agree with the philosophy of of, um, of giving lefties kind of different deliveries for that reason uh, that's a really good question actually <laughs> and I have a lot of opinions on that one <laughs> But um, the the big argument really it's and to me this is the difference between coaches and scouts a lot of the time coaches focus on process and scouts focus on outcome so a lot of scouts they like to see uh, difficult angles especially on left-handed batters the emphasis on lefty versus lefty and exploiting that platoon advantage is is a pretty big deal when it comes to uh, how they look at that interaction between pitcher and hitter. And so if they can create this this closed-off angle or have it come from what feels like way inside to the hitter and have it be deceiving, they tend to emphasize that and they inadvertently take away from what the pitcher naturally needs to do just to get the ball where he wants to. And so there's obviously there's often an interplay there where pitchers who don't take those extreme angles, ones who are more like Corbin, uh, he's doing what he's naturally supposed to do to throw baseballs. Someone like Skaggs has been coached to take advantage of all of these angles. And I, I'm in the camp that I prefer a pitcher to do what he was meant to do. Uh, I, 
obviously more the coaching angle and and I like to to look at process over outcome and I just see these pitchers like Skaggs who can't hit their spots even when they're throwing strikes they're not painting the target at all they're not hitting the catcher's glove and it's because they're basically fighting their body they're trying to create all of these interesting angles and everything and it does add some deception but what it takes away from them is much stiffer and I prefer command personally over creating these deceptive angles. I think if a pitcher throws the ball where he wants to, he's going to have more success than adding a little bit of extra angle on a guy. And especially when it comes to starters, the thing I really don't get is we, they end up adding these angles to lefties. The idea is to make the um, platoon split bigger against lefties, but it ends up being easier on right-handers for the same reason that side armors tend to have platoon issues against opposite-sided bats. So in effect, by creating more angle on lefties, and making it tougher, they're making it easier on right-handed batters. And if it's a starter, they're pro- the opposing manager is probably going to stack the lineup with uh, as much platoon advantage as he possibly can. So for a starting pitcher, to me, it really doesn't make very much sense. And then on top of that, Skaggs has the over-the-top delivery in the downhill plane. And that's another one where I tend to disagree with the consensus opinion because when guys get that extra height, when they have poor posture and spine tilt and all that, it tends to cost them release distance, and I would prefer that a guy have more distance at release point than height. And to me, downhill plane is really overrated. And in fact, the general idea is that ground uh, that downhill plane equals ground balls. But most of the guys with really high arm slots have high fly ball rates because they can't get the ball down in the zone. What did you think of the Aaron Hill extension? He's he's kind of a confusing, hard to project player. Yeah, he's a really hard-to-project player. Uh, I mean, last season was great, and then before that, two years of complete disaster, and then he had the outlier, what, 36-homer season that uh, you know everyone basically saw that as as being outside his means. And, and that he's kind of an interesting case to me because he was so far out of his normal realm in whatever it was, 2009, everyone pre- predicted regression, and then he basically fell on his face. I mean, I think he still hit like 26 bombs or something, but he barely hit over the Mendoza line. And so it was kind of like this confirmation of, oh yeah, I knew he would do that. And that kind of lowered the perception. But then he followed that up with an even worse season, I think, in 2011. So given that two of the last three had been pretty rough, uh, I was really surprised by that extension. But I've been, like I said, surprised by a lot of their moves this winter. And I'm I'm not quite sure how they're allocating their dollars or allocating the talent. And I have a hard time. I really don't want to question Kevin Towers, but wow, this is, uh, this is a tough one to explain. And it was a, a kind of a stressful winter waiting for all these moves to fall. <laughs> is, there any, is there any confusion about kind of who's calling the shots or who, who's sort of coming up with the organizational philosophy here? I mean, you, you have Towers doing kind of confusing things and, Obviously, Gibson is is playing a large role, and then Kendrick is making public comments pretty often. Is there is there any kind of confusion at the top there? Do you think that could be filtering down? That's a good question too. I I think there could be. I personally, now this is just based on what they're putting out in the media. So again, who knows what's going on behind closed doors? But when Sandy Alderson, or Sandy Alderson, <laughs> when Kevin Towers is saying that Kirk Gibson is the reason he's getting these gritty players, it, it's almost like scapegoating him in a way. It's it's providing a fall guy. So if this doesn't work, well, Gibby had the guys he wanted, and that didn't work. So that's, you know, it's almost like it's off Kevin Towers. But isn't it his job as the 
you know, superior officer to make the decision that might be tough for the team or the manager may not like and to, you know, develop the talent. Uh, the, the Bauer one really gets me because by all means, he's considered a, a difficult pitcher to work with, but the guy knows his stuff. He's anxious to learn. He's a smart kid. Like, wouldn't you want to work with a player like that from a develop, player development standpoint and to give up on it for what looks like low value seems to me that you know they're maybe they're not trusting their their coaching staff maybe they're not in, expecting that kind of development so it's again i there's no way for me to know but like you said there's so much going on that it seems pretty confusing it's tough to say just how together their plan of attack is right now and i mean bauer kind of let it be known before he was drafted even that he sort of followed his own program and and preferred to go somewhere that would let him do that and it seemed like they were going to allow him to do that or sort of tacitly approved of what he was doing by adding him to the organization it it seems sort of like there's some inconsistency but I, i guess if you get a guy up close maybe it's it's not quite what you were expecting from afar well yeah and with the with bauer's approach what is interesting to me um, i've interacted with him a little bit on twitter and you know just because he talks about mechanics a lot i like to follow up with him and he he goes to different um, pitching schools and camps in the off season he he's actively trying to improve and he's open-minded. I mean, uh, he, I asked him what he thinks his biggest thing he needs to improve is, and he basically agreed with a big part of my assessment when I wrote, up, wrote him up back in whatever it was, October or November. Uh, he knew he needed to get more stable with his bottom half. He needed to have a consistent stride. He needed to find that timing every time. And so he's willing to learn. It just seems to me that because he already knows so much, he just needs to respect the source. So as long as he has the respect of his coaches and vice versa – it seems to me that he would be a player that someone could work with. He, he might have his own ideas, but I think he's open-minded and willing to develop himself as a player. And I mean, this might sound a little bit redundant, but I think the key to player development is developing the player. And sometimes it, it seems like, well, they're just on a stable trajectory and they fall off or they, they make it, but certain players succeed better in certain organizations and some organizations are better at certain things. And uh, I mean, I can tell you some of the, the organizations that clearly get it with pitching organizations such as Washington and Tampa Bay and St. Louis and Oakland. I mean, all of their pitchers tend to have strong mechanics and it's not a coincidence. So I I am kind of curious about what's going on in Arizona. All right. Uh, Do you want to get to predictions? Do you think that, that the the moves this off season will kind of manifest themselves this season or is it more of a a long term problem and, and you expect good things still in the short term well i i really was more positive on them before the upton trade i i could see how the other trades would help them this year at least but with the upton deal i mean i get it prado's an upgrade at third and everything but to me they've really lost that edge that potential upside so i mean last year again they had the run differential of an 86 win team uh but to me this year i mean i don't expect Darren hill to do the same thing um, I don't know. I, I think they're going to fall a little bit short of that. I see them at around 83 wins or so and, you know, probably third place. All right, then. Uh, thank you, Doug. You got it. And after the intro, Pete will talk to Nick Picoro, uh, the Diamondbacks beat writer for AZ Central Sports. 
It may still be winter, but Baseball Prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Nick Picoro joins me now on the telephone. Nick covers the Diamondbacks for AZ Central Sports. Nick, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. We spoke one year ago about these Diamondbacks. Relative to that, what's changed in a year? <laughs> so much. So much has changed. Um, you know, I mean, I think, like, first and foremost, the guy who was, who was kind of viewed as the as, as the the face of the franchise, uh, Justin Upton, is, is gone. Um, I think that a lot of us saw him as being a guy that was going to be here, you know, until the end of that contract at least, um, you know, w- at least when he signed it. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of changed when Kevin Towers came aboard. And, uh, you know, Kurt Gibson has uh, continued to kind of put his stamp on the club, and it seems like Kevin Towers is, is, uh, is building the team um, in some ways around around Gibson. Um Kind of getting the kind of players that that fit his style of uh, of play, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's sort of I, I would say that it seems like they're kind of they're kind of sacrificing you know talent to uh, to the extent of, of of this this type of per, you know persona that they want the team to have. Um, now, not not that they're having you know a lineup full of David Eckstein's or anything like that. But uh, but it, it does seem like they've they've maybe chosen this this uh, you know gritty grinding type of uh, personality over over some some talent. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're going to get into that in a second. But you kind of mentioned towards Kirsch Gibson's attitude and the players he likes. What kind of camp has he run? Well, in the past, he's run a camp where he's the guys you know had them working out in the backfields you know pu- pushing them more than than they probably had been used to with with other clubs. Um, this year he's kind of dialed it back a little bit. I, I, I think he's, I think he kind of wants to keep guys, you know, I, I guess part of, part of it might be that there's the extra week of spring training, but I think he does want to kind of be cognizant of keeping guys fresh. Um, so it, it does seem like there's a little bit of a different feel this year in camp. Yeah. And you talked about maybe trading away some talent for a certain persona. And of course we've seen the, the Upton move and of course the Trevor Bauer move, one of the more interesting and surprising deals of the off season. What was up with that trade? Uh, the the Bauer one? Yes. Well, I mean, I, I think there were there were a lot of things that went into it. Um, I I do think that there were some questions internally as to you know whether whether Trevor was really on board with the program, whether um, you know his personality was going to fit. Um, I, I don't. I I've never really gotten the sense that they had any kind of problems with the long tossing or, or his preparation and stuff like that. I feel like it was more of a personality thing of, of being able to get, get along with guys in the clubhouse. And, and maybe, maybe they just got tired of, of dealing with some of that. Um, I, I think that also, you know, Towers was looking at it from the perspective of, of, uh, of kind of landing a, a shortstop uh, for the long term. They wound up getting DG Gregorius in the deal uh, from the Reds. Um, and, and I think he, you know, in talking to him, he sort of was, was looking at the shortstop market and looking at where that's going to play out over the next several years and, you know, didn't really like, you know, what he was seeing. Um, you know, he, I think he just felt like this was a, 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 an opportunity to uh, acquire a guy that could maybe hold down the position for the next, you know, six years or so. Um, you know, I, I don't think that they, 
that they imagine Didi Gregorius turning into an all-star caliber shortstop, at least not not offensively. Um, but they think that he can he can really fill the position. He's got a great arm, um, and I think that they think he'll be able to hold his own offensively. Um, you know, just just being able to to say, okay, here's a guy that that we really still can handle this position, a, a tough position to to to, to find somebody at. Uh, you know, was it was enough to drive them to make that deal? Right. We're talking baseball, Diamondbacks baseball with Nick Bacoro. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Bacoro. Nick, we're getting to that point in spring training. Guys have already arrived. We've seen who's in great shape. We've seen some guys already leave to go to the World Baseball Classic. What do we look for now? And is the intensity of the amount of innings that players are starting to play starting to change and pick up? I think it. I think it probably will in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it, it's just at this point where you really can't read too much into a lot of the statistics that are there. So it's at this really strange point in camp where. Uh, Officials trying to get their timing down. Um, I, I think. I think certainly there's position battles going on in every camp, and with the Diamondbacks, it's for that fifth starter's job. Um, you know, but you know, Pat Corbin, uh, Randall Delgado, and Tyler Skaggs have, have all had two outings apiece, I think. And um, you know, Corbin's looked the best so far. But you know, with with each of these guys with having you know at least four, maybe five outings left, like how much can you really read into it when you know they're going to start going three, four, five innings an outing? You know, if if they if the guys who struggled so far, um, you know, pitch really well, then we're not we're not going to even remember these these struggles early on. So, yeah, it's, it's just at that point where uh, where we're, we're still trying to figure things out, and, and it's too early to make any any real determination. Absolutely, and I mentioned the World Baseball Classic briefly. I'm trying to ascertain everybody's feelings who I have on the podcast about the classic. Uh, how do you feel? Do you think this is the right time to do it? Uh, I don't think that there's any perfect time to do it. Um, I guess this is as good a time as any. Um, I don't know. I've, I've never really been a huge fan of it, I guess. I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, uh, Baseball Weekly did an, uh, an issue where they talked about this sort of tournament, and I remember thinking how awesome it would be if it actually played out. But I mean, you look at the roster and you look at who participates. It's hard to really get that excited about it. Um, you know, so many guys bowing out. And and, and again, I I, I don't uh, I don't think there is a, a better time to do it. And I don't blame these guys for being more focused on their on their team. I think it's I think like you know it's it's a better it's a better tournament theoretically than it is in actuality. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't I don't have a problem with it. I don't think they should. You know, I I, I don't have a problem with it continuing. Right, and I enjoy it. It's just interesting to see like what changes will come in the future to maybe encourage players to participate rather than, than sit out. Do you think they could have any kind of requirement where if you're not injured like they did with the All-Star game, or can they not? would that be overstepping their bounds? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think that if a, if a player is, is more interested in, uh, in focusing on, on his club and his, you know, his main employer you know, for the next six months, I, I think that the player should be allowed to, to make that decision. Uh, but, you know, it's just the way I see it. Nick, before I let you go, I need to get uh, your prediction, not necessarily wins or losses or where they'll finish, but how do you see the NL West shaking out? Do you buy into all the buzz around the Dodgers? Um, I would still probably give the Giants the leg up. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like Linscombe's probably going to end up being a, a little better than he was last year. Um, I kind of wonder if Barry Zito hasn't figured some things out um, and, and, you know, can maybe be a, a little bit more dependable at the back of that rotation. Um, you know, and I, I think that that lineup, you know, 
people don't talk about it, but the lineup was really the big reason why you know they they did what they were able to do over over the six month season last year. Um, I, I think it still looks like a pretty solid uh, you know everyday core. Um, at the Dodgers, I mean, when you're talking about that that many star caliber performers, um, it, it's hard to, to count them out. Um, and that's kind of where the Diamondbacks, I feel like, are, are maybe going to come up short. It's just I, I don't like like Ian Kennedy and, and Aaron Hill. You know, Paul Goldschmidt maybe has it in him, but those guys have Hill and Kennedy at least have had star type seasons before. Um, it's just hard to hard to bet on any of those guys on the Diamondbacks doing it. Um, not that they can't, it's just hard to, you know, to, to really forecast it. And, you, you know, you look at playoff teams over the years and you generally have to have guys that have, you know, big years, like a, a 140 OPS plus or, you know, something similar to that coming out of your starting rotation. And, and I'm, I'm not sure who I'm banking on doing that for the Diamondbacks, but, you know, if you're going to have Matt Kemp and, you know, Granke and Kershaw and essentially Adrian Gonzalez and, you know, all those guys having those kinds of years, that's really really tough to overcome so then again I, I i do like the giants i think a little bit more um just just based on on that rotation and and that i'm yeah i think it's definitely i've been talking to a lot of guys it's definitely an underrated division in baseball and i know uh, i think ned coletti was saying it's, it's one of the best or maybe brian sabian said that but uh it'll be interesting to see how all this potential shakes out during the season nick i hope you enjoy watching it um from the press box and covering the team we'll be following all your stuff uh thanks so much for joining us today it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.